Hello and welcome to the world of emotions and the Emotion Focus podcast, a podcast all about emotions, how they work for us, how sometimes seemingly they don't work for us and how we might understand that better and maybe be able to do something about it. I'm Lou Cooper. I'm your host. I'm based in Nam in Melbourne, Australia. And in this podcast, I'm joined by people from around the globe who have dedicated most of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions. Everything you hear on this podcast is informed by emotion theory and emotion-focused therapy. And this is the first episode of the second series series two of the Emotion Focus podcast. How fantastic. And that has happened because of all of you. You've tuned in, you've listened, you've shared, and you've just been there. Thank you. This episode, we're going to be talking about something that kind of, it's close to my heart, but it also kind of makes me a little bit nervous and it activates me a little bit because we're talking about emotions in a stage of development that was actually quite tricky for me, the teenage adolescent years. And of course, in that, we're also going to look back at emotions in childhood because what happens in adolescence, I guess, is sort of fed by what happens in childhood. And to do this, I'm joined by Dr. Maurice Furuji, who is a clinical director at the Family Psychology Centre in Toronto and leads clinical research at the Emotion Transformation Institute, also in Toronto. Maurice has over 20 years' experience working with children, adolescents, and families, and has adapted emotion-focused therapy for working with young people and provides training in this way of working, EFTY, or Emotion-Focused Therapy for Youth. Maurice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Lou. It's felt to me like, you know, we haven't really talked an awful lot about those teenage years and it was a gap. So I'm glad I've tracked you down to do this. But if we can start at teenage years and work backwards, what actually is going on at that time, if you want, within the human, within the organism, that means that this can be a really roller coaster time for people? What makes it that way? Well, I think that's a great question. I think there's several things going on at once. One of them is obviously all of the physical changes that teens are going through that make them feel nervous, scared, self-conscious, and wanting to belong with their peers. And so those changes happen at different times for different people, uh, which can be really quite uncomfortable. I can think of um, young people that I knew, let's say at age 11, 12, who were already developing far more quickly physically than others in the classroom. And so that would really stand out and it would really bring a sense of being in the spotlight. And then, of course, on the opposite end, you had um, individuals who still looked very much like their their child selves um, and they were developing psychologically, intellectually, perhaps emotionally, but not as much physically. And so the, the discrepancy and the rapid change that's happening on every level, 
physical, biological, psychological, at the endocrine level, all of those things really contribute. And then, of course, wanting to become, you know, sort of part of the adult world and, and breaking away from the dependency on um, one's caregivers, um, becoming more independent, and feeling a sense of mastery in that process. So yeah, lots of things going on at once and and a huge focus on the peer group in order to feel like you're on track. Oh, there's so much validation in those words, Maurice, as I'm listening to you, because, you know, as you describe it, that is a lot to be going on, you know, and standing out in whatever way you do stand out amongst your peers is is really difficult. I mean, we're kind of focusing on the difficulty, the difficulty part. Some people appear to breeze through it all. Do they? Or are they just better at masking what's happening? I do think that, you know, obviously people have an easier or harder time and it can depend on a lot of factors. Sometimes, um, you know, just having found your people, you know, having found even one or two or three people that you can really relate to and and that can can make it much smoother. Um, there's a lot of fun in the independence that comes with being an adolescent. And of course, parents and other adults want that freedom to come with responsibility, but you still don't have those adult responsibilities. So there's a lot of um, opportunities for doing what you want to do and having a great time with your friends and and not being so cautious. And, and there's a fearlessness, right? And you're not as worried about what could go wrong, what could happen, um, health consequences, or, you know, so so there's there's freedom in that. So I do think that some people really enjoy that. But masking is a good thing to think about too, because there's a need to sort of project the image of, of perfect health or the image that you're doing fine, and that can really keep feelings that are more vulnerable um, inside. And a good example of that is that adolescents often use, if you ask them how they're feeling, they often use the words annoyed or bored. And that can really be covering for a lot of other feelings underneath, but oftentimes that's what we hear. And, and so I might say to a young person who I know has been, let's say, severely bullied at school or had a very... Um, difficult year with their family at home and I'll say you know that must be that must be really sad you must have gone through so much turmoil and then they might just shrug and say no it was just annoying <laughs> so those words can really mask a lot of pain you talked about the freedom and the risk taking that can happen at this stage of life and that sounds all fabulous but i mean for some adolescents, they're not given that freedom. Some adolescents are very much held back, you know, by their, their parents. So that would be a different experience. Sure, absolutely. I think that some parents are really good at nurturing and taking care of and, you know, sort of taking responsibility for their children. But when it comes time to pull back and let go, that can be much harder for them. And and then, of course, the opposite is also true. Some parents sort of give too much freedom and put too much responsibility on children and adolescents as they're, they may not be ready for it. So, right. So when there's not a good match between what the young person needs and what their caregivers are willing to give or can recognize, 
then that can also be a source of turmoil. Yeah, I imagine that would be either way, whichever way it goes, it's going to be a source of friction within the family, which is going to be hard then for the young person to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yes, and oftentimes, you know, there has to be some friction, some discrepancy. If everything's perfectly, all your needs are perfectly met, you know, you just can just stay at home and your parents do everything right and, and everything is just wonderful. There's not going to be much motivation to push you to become an independent adult and, and want to get out into the world and, you know, be on your own. So there has to be some of that discrepancy and sort of seeing your parents as not being so perfect and, and having limitations and, and getting frustrated with some of the things that they do. But then, of course, when that goes well beyond the level of tolerance and the mismatch is wide, that can be very disheartening. It can make young people feel alone and it can be really difficult to feel like your family just doesn't get you. Disheartening. I'm interested in your use of that word, disheartening. It feels like disappointment. Mm-hmm. And a bit of heartbreak, right? Because, I mean, as a young child, you idealize your parents. You you believe that, you know, everything they're doing is right, that they know the answer to everything. So when you reach adolescence and you start to question that and you start to see the imperfections, if that drop between what the image you had of them and and who you see them as now is too big, I think it can really leave a young person feeling um, heartbroken in a sense, like this thing that they believed in so much is, is no longer a source of security. The parent has fallen off the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I'm wondering, Maurice, how much, and it, it makes sense to me that, of course, what happens in childhood feeds into how your adolescence is, but how true is that? Well, I mean, we have a a phrase that we use often in this work, which is the years before five last the rest of your life. And so there is quite a foundation that's laid in terms of your capacity to, to process emotions, your capacity to tolerate frustration. So if you have a two or three or four-year-old and you're constantly stopping them from having any hardships and, you know, they can't open a lid and you're rushing to do it for them and um, they're having a hard time going to school and you say, it's okay, you can stay home. So you're really blocking the organism from being able to manage frustration. And, And some parents believe that it's their job to help their children feel good. But what we say is that we actually want to help the child get good at feeling And that means feeling disappointed, feeling um, ashamed, feeling angry. So if you haven't had those opportunities to learn, and I would say, you know, with emotions in particular, but even with things like patience, like if you don't have to wait, um, then it's hard to develop patience. So then by the time you become an adolescent, other people in the world are not going to do for you what your parents have been doing. And so there might be quite a lot of friction, disappointment, and a sense that the world is unfair. Oh, Maurice, it's so complicated. You know, I'm thinking about a five-year-old having the experience, you know, almost need to have a a checklist, you know, has my five-year-old experienced patience? Has my five-year-old experienced frustration? 
and wanting to ensure kind of safeguard their future by making sure that they're experiencing the full range of emotions and learning how to be with them. Well, I think it's probably true when they say parenting is one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's definitely quite a challenge to, let's say, take a human being from being you know, a completely dependent infant to being a well-adjusted human being that can go out into the world and handle different situations. And, and the most difficult thing, I think, for parents of adolescents is to know how much to push and how much to kind of stand back and let the young person lead the way. And that dance between leading and following, which is so much a part of um, working with emotion, is definitely a challenge for parents too. Before I ask about what we may be able to do better or what might be helpful in a sense of tips for parents, teachers, adolescents themselves, anyone who's close to young people, I'm just wondering, Maurice, you may not want to answer this question, which might be a bit embarrassing for you, but anyhow, I'm going to ask it. What were your early years like that has kind of pushed you to wanting to work with young people? Mm-hmm. Right. So I grew up as an only child until I was in my early teens. My parents separated when I was about three, um, but I had a huge extended family and there was lots of love and support and until about age six. And then I immigrated from Iran to Canada to be with my mom at age seven. And all of that extended family was gone and the whole, you know, it takes a village to raise a child was gone. Um, so I had this this solid foundation, but then lots and lots of hardship. Um, my mom was a single mother working full time. So there was a lot of tumultuous roller coaster experiences throughout adolescence. And I remember just feeling like, how is it possible that she's forgotten that I'm the same little kid that that she cared for so much? And there's a period you go through where you blame your parents a lot for not seeing what you need. And you often blame the parent that's there with you and maybe not so much the one that's further away that you you might idealize or keep on a pedestal. So there was a lot of conflict in my teen years. And then I was very lucky to kind of come out of the other side of that and then rebuild a relationship with my mother and be able to in a sense, forgive both of us, maybe for myself, forgive myself for being so sensitive and a little bit difficult to deal with, and also forgive my mother for not being able to perfectly attune to everything that I needed all the time and replace that big extended family that I was missing. So yeah, those are some of the experiences that that I think brought me to doing this work and feeling like I can relate to some of the difficulties that young people go through. You had a lot of experiences with emotions. It sort of speaks to what you were saying before, that children and and young people need to be able to experience these things in order to learn how to be be with them. I can remember very, very different childhood from from yours, but, you know, the horrible, horrible, horrible times. But I'm guessing I learned something from that. And it makes sense that by going through those times, You know, you're likely to learn things that make you want to become a therapist in the first place, don't you reckon? Absolutely. I think most of us 
working in mental health have had a background that was not optimal, at least in some way. Doesn't mean, you know, it was terrible in every way, but there was something that let us know, like, and there was a bit of awareness either at the time or later that, okay, this wasn't great. And somehow maybe I can help make this better for other people. So, Maurice, let's go to the tip section of this podcast. Do you have some words of advice or something that might help parents, teachers, young people themselves? I'm not sure how many young people we have listening to the podcast, but I know that we have a lot of parents and teachers. What would, you know, maybe three tips or your words of advice for them? Well, I guess on the lines of... um being able to develop capacity. And especially I think in this generation where they've young people have become very emotionally aware, but it's difficult to sort of balance that with the previous generation's focus on developing capacity and handling hardship. And I think what we can do is to try and find a spot where we're not rescuing young people from their feelings, but we're not leaving them in a situation that they really can't handle. So consciously looking for that balance where you're not going to jump in and stop them from handling any of life's hardships, but you're also not going to leave them in a situation that they can't tolerate on their own. So finding that window of tolerance, I think would be my first tip. Secondly, following the young person's lead when it comes to what's important to them, what they value. Uh, I think many adults you know, because of their own upbringing and their own agenda, really want to kind of bring forward the ideals and and values that they had. But every generation has its right to find its own way and take from the past what they want and build a future that we as parents and teachers won't even be part of. And so I think that is their right, as I said, and, and so we need to follow it and listen and not be jumping in to correct or even give our opinion when a young person is telling us what's important to them, what they value, what they think the world should be like. I think that's a time when we can just follow their lead. And the third would be to help young people process what's going on. So maybe they've experienced something devastatingly painful. It could be anything from, you know, a common break up with a partner all the way to, uh, you know, the loss of a parent or a significant person in their life or some other sort of experience. And what we know is that trauma is not what happens to you. It's how you are able to respond to what happens. And so if we can help give the words when the words are not there, when we can give compassion, when we can reach into what might be going on, even if that young person's not ready to talk about it. We don't have to ask questions. We don't have to force an answer, but just to be able to help them process what's happening so that over time they are able to not only remember what went on, but all the things that you help them work through afterwards, because that's where the strength really comes in. It's great to hear you speaking. As I'm listening to you speaking, Maurice, it's very much advocating for those young people. And I suggest people listening could rewind a little bit and listen to those three tips as I described them again. 
Thank you so much. And I wonder, Maurice, whether you could just, because this is a bit of a hobby horse of mine, define what we mean by adolescence. When does a teenager or an adolescent actually become adult? When does adulthood start and the roller coaster, if you want, might slow down? So depending on who you ask, there are different answers to this. Something, you know, sort of as a psychologist based on the latest in in neuroscience and developmental psychology, let's say, is that adolescence starts around, let's say, age 12, 11 to 12. And then the period at which you would be transitioning to adulthood is somewhere in the mid 20s. So we know there's still a lot of brain development that's happening, a lot of change that's happening. And in some cultures, there's still a lot of dependence on adults, especially for those who are going on to post-secondary studies. So there's lots of good reasons to sort of set that endpoint in the mid-20s. So that's really what, when I talk about adolescence, that's what I have in mind. And, and one more thing I'll say about that is it allows us to give parents and caregivers and other adults in the young person's life the opportunity with the young person's willingness, of course, to involve those other people in supporting the emotional well-being and mental health of the somebody even in their early 20s, especially if they're struggling with mental health challenges or other things that are going on so that they don't lose that, quote, village too soon. Maurice, thank you so much for your time in this episode. Really appreciate it. And I hope we can speak again sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was wonderful. Dr. Maurice Faraghi is a clinical psychologist, emotion-focused therapist with over 20 years' experience working with children, adolescents, and families, and the developer of emotion-focused therapy for youth, EFTY. And if you'd like to find out more about Maurice's work, more about this podcast and find links to other episodes, go to our website, emotionfocused.com. 